us today. So we're in new chapter, same hope. And when we're going through struggles, when we have a week like I've had, or even if you're just feeling in general weary with what's going on, whether it's the election, whether it's, um, you know, the pandemic and all that stuff, I want you to know that this is a new chapter, but this is a chapter in the story of God and God's people. And so if, if, the, if you're feeling heavy today, I want you to understand that the same hope that we have in Christ, the same hope that's been throughout history is with us today, and we can live in that hope. And so, so today we're wrapping up this series by looking at what does it look like for us to live that hope out. I'm talking practically live that hope out every single day. So, so, so far, week one, we talked about the fact that there are two kingdoms. There's the earthly kingdom. That's what's going on around us. We all know what the earthly kingdom looks like. We all know the trouble that we see, the brokenness, the pain, the hatred, all of that. That's, that's what we live in, right? But at the same time, there's God's kingdom. There's a holy kingdom. And that kingdom is at work as well. So we, we are living in this earthly kingdom. But at the same time, as followers of Christ, we are to live for God's kingdom, which is real and present and living, as we just sang about. And so we talked week one about putting our hope and our trust not in the temporary, not in the broken, not in the earthly, but in God's kingdom. The second week, we talked about the fact that Kingdoms have kings. And if we're going to put our hope and our trust in God's kingdom, then we have to have Jesus Christ as our one true king. And we looked at Isaiah 6 when Isaiah comes to the throne of Jesus and he sees Jesus in all of his holiness and all of his goodness. And Isaiah just feels the weight of his own brokenness and his own inadequacy. And he repents and, and Jesus cleanses him makes him whole, and sends him. And so we come into the presence of a holy king and we repent and God restores us. Man, that's good news today. If you feel unworthy to be here, I want you to know that the king of all kings, the God of, of the, the eternal kingdom, can make you whole. All it takes is repenting. Last week, Dale did, a, did an awesome job showing us Jesus, a picture of Jesus, and he talked about what it looks like to live as he lives every day following Jesus, hearing from Jesus, knowing what Jesus wants him to do. And so as we look today at what does it look like for us practically to live out God's kingdom I want us to have a central thought in mind, and that it goes back to what Dale was talking about last week. It's that in Jesus, we see God's kingdom breaking into the earthly kingdom. So the earthly kingdom was broken and messed up, and Jesus, the holy king, came into the brokenness, and Jesus brought the kingdom of God into the earthly kingdom. And Jesus is our example. If you want to know what it looks like to live for God's kingdom, look at the life, look at the ministry, look at the actions, look at the words of Jesus. We are called to continue to follow the example that Jesus set. We're called to continue to live for God's kingdom in this earthly kingdom. And so, two scriptures that as I was studying several months ago, I came upon. John chapter 8, verse 12, says that when Jesus spoke again to his people, he said, I am the light of the world. 
Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So Jesus says, I am the light of the world. But then if you look over at Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, it's, Jesus says, you are the light of the world. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So Jesus, the, the holy king, says, I am a light to the broken world. But then he turns around and says, it's not just that I'm a light to the broken world. You are to be a light to the broken world. So let your light shine. And so two kingdoms, the earthly kingdom, God's kingdom. What does it look like for us to live for God's kingdom while living in the earthly kingdom? Several weeks ago, it's family worship. Kids, raise your hand if you're in here. Come on, kids. Thank you, Chris, coughing. Come on, I know there's more. Okay, there's some. All right, so it's family worship, which means we're all together. Some of our college kids from Mount Vernon are here with us. This is truly a family gathering today. And a couple weeks ago, we had a family movie night. And we watched the movie Aladdin. How many of you have seen Aladdin? Can you believe? There were some people that didn't raise their hand in first service. Are there some people that haven't seen it? I'm going to spoil it for you, but, you know, if you haven't seen it by now, I feel like that's on you. And so, uh, so Aladdin is, is this, I mean, it's a Disney movie, and we watched it together at the family movie night. But, but the story of Aladdin is that, that you have two kind of kingdoms or two areas. Aladdin is just a typical, like, street guy. He's a thief. They call him Street Rat. And then there's Princess Jasmine who is the princess. She lives in the palace. She's not even allowed out of the palace. And so we see at the beginning of the story of Aladdin that the princess Jasmine wants something different than just to be insulated and just to be in there. So she sneaks out and she runs into Aladdin, this street thief, this commoner. And immediately there's a connection between them. In the rest of the movie, Aladdin is trying to figure out how can I win the heart of Princess Jasmine? How can I be together with Princess Jasmine? And there's a law that says Princess Jasmine can only marry a prince. And so Aladdin thinks that in order for him, a commoner, a street rat, to be in love with Princess Jasmine, he has to become something that he's not. And so we see this play out throughout the movie that, that he's trying to be something that he's not. He gets the genie in the lamp and has wishes and becomes rich and becomes all these different things. And... And we see this frustration building because as Aladdin tries to win her affection by being something he's not, all she's really looking for is who he was in the first place. And so, so Aladdin's trying so hard, he's trying to impress her, and all the while there's this tension because it's just not working the way he thinks it should. And, and that's kind of the, the scene that we're going to look at today in Isaiah chapter 58. See, God's people are trying to live for the kingdom. They're trying to experience, is probably a better word to use, the kingdom. They're trying to experience the holiness of God, but there's this disconnect because the way that they're living doesn't match what God's looking for. And so Isaiah 58, verses 2 through 4, says, For day after day they seek me, they seem eager to know my ways, as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions. They seem eager to, for God to come near them. 
Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? Yet on the day of fasting, listen to this part, yet on the day of fasting, you do as you please and you exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. So we have this tension between the people of God and the holy God because they're doing the fasting, they're doing the religious stuff, they're showing up like we did this morning, and they're calling on God and they're wanting God's holiness to be poured out, but it's not happening. And they say, why? We're calling on you. We're fasting. We're doing the religious stuff. And God says, no. There's, there's a key word in there. The word yet. See, listen to what it says. The people are doing some good things here. It says they're seeking God daily. It says they're eager to know his ways. It says they're asking God for justice. It says they're eager to, for God to come near. It says that they have humbled themselves. These are good things. Can we all agree that the things that were just listed are good things for the people of God to do? We want God to come near. We want to experience God. We want justice. We want to be humble we want the presence of God, and so, so the people are doing some things right, but then there's that little word, yet. Why are they not experiencing the holiness of God and the, the greatness of God the way they want to? Why are they not seeing what they want to see in their relationship with God? It says, yet when your fasting ends, on your day of fasting, you do as you please, you exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Listen, I think this happens way too much in the church where we say we want to experience God's presence. We say we want to see God move. And at the same time, we walk out of church and we fight with each other. And we take advantage of each other. And we hurt each other. And we speak ill toward each other. And God says, you can say you want to see me all you want, but if you're not living for my holiness, you're not going to see me work. And so there's this frustration. See, we tend to, uh, to judge what happens in the church. We tend to judge how we're doing. We tend to judge God's faithfulness and our faithfulness by what happens here in this room. Over the last month or so, we've had some amazing services, haven't we? And I am fully guilty of this. I fall into this trap all the time where I think, hey, God just really is showing up. God is doing great things because we're having great services. And we can judge God's faithfulness and our faithfulness by what happens in this room. But what God is saying here to the Israelites is, it's not just about what happens in this room. It's about what happens when we leave this room. And we can talk the talk and be religious all we want. But if we're not living it out every single day, we're missing it. And so Isaiah 58, verse 6 through 14 says, is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? Listen to these words. To loose the chains of injustice, 
and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free, to break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. See, the people of God are wanting to experience the light of God in the darkness. It's like they want an escape from the darkness of our world. And I think that's okay, right? But the problem is God doesn't just want his people to escape the darkness and bask in his light. He wants his people to take the light out into the darkness, to be a light to the world around them. And so he says, this is what I want you to do. This is the fasting. This is the worship that I want from you. Loose the chains of injustice. Set the oppressed free. Feed the hungry. Provide the, the poor wanderer with shelter. When you see the naked, clothe them and don't turn away from each other. God wants us to live this way. Look at verse 8. It says, Then your light will break forth like the dawn, and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call, and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help, and he will say, here I am. And so it's one thing to say, I want to experience God's light. And the people of God in Isaiah 58 are saying, we want to experience your light, God. But they're not feeling it. But God says, if you will live as light, if you will pour yourself out, if you will live for holiness... If you will live for justice and peace and to feed the hungry and to release people from chains to help others, then your light will shine. Then I will protect you. He says the Lord will be your rear guard. Then when you call, I will answer. When you cry out for help, help I will say, here am I. It continues on with the list in verse 9. It says, if you do away with the yoke of oppression... With the pointing of fingers and malicious talk. And if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed. Man, I don't know if there's anything more convicting in this passage than these lines right here. If you do away with the yoke of oppression with the pointing of finger and malicious talk. How often do we in the church point our finger at others and say, this world is broken because you guys are messed up. How often in the church do we become malicious with each other? Do we talk poorly about others? How often do we get caught up in that sort of living? And we want to see God, but God says you need to do away with anything that's unholy and not right. It says, you should spend yourselves. Think about that. You should spend yourselves. We often in the church have a saving mentality. A, hey, let pour it out on us so we can have more and more and more. And God says you should spend yourselves for others. We do want God's spirit poured out. Let me clarify that. We do want to experience God's goodness and grace. But when we do, we've got to pour that out for others. Then your light will rise in the darkness, and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in the sun-scorched land, and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. And then listen to verse 12. 
Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up an age-old foundations. You will be called repairer of the broken walls, restorer of the streets with dwellings. Listen to that. If we will live for what God loves, if we will live for justice and peace and help others and pour ourselves out for others, it says that we will rebuild, we will rebuild the ancient ruins. Can we all agree this morning that the world as it looks today is not the way God intended it to be when he created it? That this world does not, it's broken, it's messed up, it is not what God intended it to be. And God says to his people, if you will pour yourself out, if you will live for others, you will rebuild ancient ruins, you will raise up age-old foundations, you will repair broken walls, you will restore the streets. So what does it look like? Let's get to the really practical part of this. I mean, you could probably, you've heard it already. But what does kingdom life, what does kingdom worship really look like? Number one, we need to loose the chains of injustice. There's an election coming up. You guys are aware of that, right? A few weeks. We need to loose the chains of injustice. Part of the way you do that is by voting kingdom principles. I'm not going to tell you who to vote for. I know there's a lot of disagreement. I know that the term social justice is a hot topic word, but let me say this. Take all that away. I want you to understand that our God is a God of justice. And so if we're going to be faithful to live out God's calling on our lives, we need to be faithful when we vote, when we're a citizen, to seek justice. Now, where that breaks down is oftentimes we're really good at seeking justice for ourselves. But this isn't about seeking justice for yourself. This is about seeking justice in this world. And so there's the voting part of it. But that's just a small part of it, guys. Because casting your vote is just a small part of what God calls us to. It's not just voting for something. It's not just letting someone else take care of it. But we, as the people of God, need to spend ourselves seeking justice for others. And so if there's something broken, if there's oppression, if there's stuff that's messed up, we, as the people of God, have to live to seek justice. I know there's a ton of disagreement on what that looks like. All I want to tell you is this. We need to vote. We need to talk. We need to live. We need to give. We need to serve by kingdom principles, not selfish, our own principles. Second thing says, set the oppressed free. I see two ways this happens. Number one, physically. I don't know if you're aware, but one of the biggest problems in our world today is human trafficking, slavery, people being bought and sold for sexual purposes. And it's all over the place, and we like to think it's not here, but it's all over. And we, as the people of God, have to be committed to give ourselves to free those that are oppressed. That's not the only type of oppression. There's oppression all over. We need to seek are you getting the picture here? This isn't a passive sit back, God show up. This is I'm living to see kingdom, God's kingdom play out here on earth. There's also another kind of oppression. 
It's probably a lot more common to us, and that's spiritual oppression. People that are tied up by, by spiritual issues, people that are slaves to sinfulness. We, as the people of God, are called to live to set people free from that. And so we have to give ourselves fully to set the oppressed free, whether it's voting, whether it's talking, whether it's sharing, whatever it is, we're called to live for that. It goes on, give food to the hungry. I know that most of us are going to walk out of here and we're going to go either go home and eat a nice home-cooked meal or we're probably going to go spend some money at a nice restaurant. And I would guess that almost every person in this room is going to go home today and your stomach will probably be full by 1 o'clock or 2 o'clock, whatever. I'm going to guess that most of us don't go hungry very often. You can tell I don't. I told someone today, like, if, if my pants pop in the middle of this sermon, like, you know, they're just getting tighter and tighter. Most of us don't struggle with that problem, but I can tell you, in our community, there are people that are hungry. In the world around us, there are people dying every day from hunger. And God calls us to feed the hungry. How can you do that? Well, there are food banks all around. We have a food bank here. You can give food. You'll see people, listen, I know this is unpopular, but you'll see people on the side of the road that say they're hungry. One of my favorite things is to just say, hey, can I go buy you some food? And take someone and have a conversation because in feeding the hungry, we have the opportunity to set the oppressed free. And so we are called to literally feed the hungry. That's not something we can cop out on. If there are people around us that are hungry, the people of God are called to feed them. Provide shelter to the wanderer. Clothe the naked. These things take care of those around you that are in need. We're pretty good at insulating ourselves. But if we're going to serve a holy God and we're going to say, God, we want you to show up, then we'd better be willing to care for the needs of those around us. The last part says, rid ourselves of pointing fingers and malicious talk. We cannot be God's holy people. We cannot be the church that God created us to be if we're fighting and we're hurting each other. Can I say that again? You cannot claim to be a follower of the holy God and hurt your brother or sister, whether it's with words or with actions. And I'm sorry I'm getting emotional, but I've seen it too much. There's far too many people that are turned away from the holy God because the people that call themselves Christians are hurtful to each other and to others. We got to get rid of pointing fingers. We got to get rid of malicious talk. And so when we talk about what does it look like to worship a holy God, what does it look like for us to live out God's kingdom in the middle of this earthly kingdom, that's what worship looks like. It's not just showing up and singing and crying and all that good stuff, it's living every day for God's kingdom. It's setting people free and breaking chains. It's feeding the hungry. It's taking care of the people around us. Why do we need to do that? Because we can't say that we want God to show up and not understand that God shows up in this way. 
God is not a God of comfort. God is not a God of holy huddles. God is not a God that just shows up and pours it out on a small group of people and keeps it to them and lets the world die. When Jesus came to earth, he came poor. He emptied himself of all. I can't find anywhere in Scripture that says that Jesus amassed a fortune. I can't find anywhere in Scripture that says Jesus was more about his own comfort than the people around him. Jesus, the holy God, the holy king, when he came to earth, spent himself completely for others. You want proof of it? Here we go. Get ready. Lots of Scripture coming. Justice. Micah 6, 8. What does the Lord require of you? To act justly and love mercy and walk humbly with your God. Psalm 33. The Lord loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of his unfailing love. He is the rock. His works are perfect. His ways are just. A faithful God does no wrong. Upright and just is he. Matthew 23. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, faithfulness. Psalm 89, righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Love and faithfulness go before you. Proverbs 21, to do what is right and just is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. If we want to see a holy God, we're going to see justice because that's who God is. That's not just one writer. That's not just one kind of scripture. That's across the board. Our God is a God of justice. How about helping the poor? First John says, if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, then how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Deuteronomy 15 says, there will always be poor people in the land. Therefore, I command you to be open-handed toward your fellow Israelites who are poor and needy in your land. Matthew 25. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry? And feed you, or thirsty, and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go visit you? And the king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you've done for the least of these, you did for me. Luke 12, sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide, um, provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that never fails, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. 2 Corinthians 8. We're going to read this again in a second. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. If we want the God, the holy God, to show up, it looks like spending ourselves for others, because that's what our king did. He spent himself completely for us to have life. He made himself poor so that we could be rich. What about love? 1 John 4, 7 and 8. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. Romans 8, 37 to 39. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth 
nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Psalm 86:15 But you Lord are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Deuteronomy 7:9 Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, he is faithful, keeping his covenant of love a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. And the last one, we're going to read this one again in a second too. John 15, 12. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for one's friends. If we want the holy God to show up, it's going to look like love because our God is the God of love. And so today, we come together to worship and listen, I have I thoroughly enjoyed singing praises to God. You can see I've been emotional all service. I love it when, when we experience God's presence. God is always with us. Every single week, God is with us. And I love it when we're aware of his presence and when we experience his goodness. But if we want to truly worship God, it goes further than just showing up and experiencing God's goodness. It means that we've got to live it out every single day. That we've got to be a people that don't just look for justice from God, but a people that live for justice in this world. That we don't just look for compassion from God, but that we live compassion in our everyday lives. That we don't just want to be loved by God, but that we want to be transformed with God's love to love others. Jesus doesn't want to just... Have a nice moment with us today. Jesus wants to transform us and to send us out in the world to be light. The results, your light will shine, your healing will appear, the Lord will guard us, you, we will experience God, the Lord will guide you, the Lord will bring you satisfaction, the Lord will strengthen you, and we will rebuild, repair, and restore a broken world. Listen, it's bigger than what's happening right here. This is what we're called to. This is what we're to live every single day. The greatest example of this, hey, we're going we're gonna to take communion, by the way. I forgot to say this at the beginning. If you don't have communion elements, it's okay right now. Just get up, walk to the back tables there in the middle, and grab some communion. There's some back there. Go ahead and get it ready. But as we take communion, every week in this series, we've closed with communion because we have a choice every single day to choose to live for the earthly kingdom or to live for God's kingdom. And every week, we've ended with communion because communion is a sacrament. That means that God's grace is flowing through communion. This is the body and blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So see, if we want to know what it looks like to be holy, it looks like Jesus living on this earth. And so as we take communion, we're reminded, Scripture says, do this in remembrance of me. We're reminded of what Jesus was all about. And that's pouring himself out for others, for the kingdom. And so as you open up, as you open up that communion, I want you to take the bread in your hand. And I want you to hear once again 2 Corinthians chapter 8 that says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Take the bread and hold it in your hand. And understand that the King of all kings, the Lord of all lords, Jesus Christ, gave his very life, became poor, became nothing, so that you could have life. Take and eat and know that you're loved. And then as you take the cup, I want you to hear John 15, verse 12. It says, my command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for one's friends. So we took the bread and we ate the bread and understood that Jesus gave all for us, that Jesus loved us so much that he became empty for us to have life. And then... In John 15, it says, love others the way I've loved you. And so as you take and you drink the cup, know that you are called to lay down your life, to spend your life for others. Take and drink. Jesus, we love you today. Jesus, we love it when we experience your glory and your presence. Jesus, I love it. When we sing together, I love being here with your church, and and this is good, this is right. We should come and we should worship you, and we should walk every day seeking you and seeking your light in this dark world. But Jesus, don't let us miss that not only are we to receive your light, but we are to be your light to the world around us. And so, Lord, as we continue to hear from you. I just pray, Lord, you'd continue to transform us. Help us not to walk out of the doors of this church having had a good worship service. Help us to walk out the doors of this church to make a difference in the world around us, to be light, to repair and restore and rebuild a broken world. Help us to be your hands and your feet and your light. We love you, Jesus. We thank you for who you are. And Jesus, precious and powerful, and loving, compassionate, and just name we pray.